turn with me in your Bibles again to the book of Ephesians, and we are continuing our study in this great book of the Bible, and we are in chapter 2, and we're picking up this morning with verses 13 through 18. For us, that is a flying leap, as we uh, are going to cover a number of verses uh, this morning, picking up with verse 13, reading verse 18. And let us remember this is the word of God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit, to the Father. And again, that's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now for your blessing upon our study of your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit be our helper and our teacher. We pray that you would give us understanding and give us grace, not just to hear it with our ears or to know it with our minds, but to apply it to our hearts that we might trust in Jesus all the more. And live for him with greater faith and obedience. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the Bible about? What is the main theme of the Bible? If you were to drill down to the the very core of the Bible, what would you find? Well, you know what you would find. What you would find is Jesus. The Bible is all about him. He is the main theme of the whole message of God's word. From beginning to end, the Bible tells the story of God's plan of redemption. And that redemptive plan centers upon God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All that we find in the Old Testament points ahead to what we see in the New Testament. What we find in the New Testament fulfills all that is told in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the central message of both. The New Testament, of course, especially, focuses upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're introduced to Jesus in the Gospels, aren't we? Where his life and ministry are clearly described for us. But then in the letters in particular, the rest of the New Testament, the letters of of Paul and of Peter and John, we find uh, the life and the work of Jesus fleshed out even more. And that's what we find here, I think, at the end of Ephesians, not the end of Ephesians 2, the latter part of Ephesians 2. Paul's describing more of what Jesus did, fleshing out, if you will, the, the work of Christ on our behalf. Especially as we come to this particular part of Ephesians 2, especially as he deals with 
the spiritual alienation that is caused by our sin. That was our focus last week. If you are here last week, we looked at verses 11 and 12, and there we saw that sin causes alienation, spiritual alienation. Alienates us, of course, from God, breaks our fellowship with Him, but also sin impacts our relationships with other people. And, and a primary part of the work of Christ is to restore that fellowship, to remove that sense of alienation, to give us the ability to have communion with, with God and the ability to have open relationships with each other. The focus, of course, in verses 11 and 12 was the division, the separation that sin caused between the Jews and the Gentiles and how the work of Christ brings those two groups together. And we find more of that as we turn in our text this morning, beginning with verse 13. There are four things I want to draw from this passage, focus again upon how God deals with this matter of spiritual alienation. We find first in verse 13, that the Lord Jesus brought near those who were far off. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we know those who formerly were far off and who now have been brought near are the Gentiles who have come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the reason that the Gentiles were far off is because of what we saw back in verse 12. They were separated from Christ. They were excluded from Israel. They were, that was verse 11 and verse 12. Uh, they were uh, strangers to the covenants and they were without hope and without God in the world. They had no hope because they did not have God. But the reality is that all unbelievers, all unbelievers are far away from God because of their sin. Sin alienates us from a holy God. In Romans 3, Paul says, There is none who seeks for God, none righteous, none who understands. That includes both Jews and Gentiles. You see, just having the trappings of religion, and the Jews had all that. Just having the trappings of religion or being aware of spiritual truths or realities does not mean that you don't have a heart that's far from God. You can be involved in lots of spiritual, religious, churchy kinds of things and still be far from God. Just participation in the things of the church doesn't qualify you for salvation. Something must happen. What must happen is what we find in the text. You must be brought near. Brought near in Christ Jesus. Well, the second thing he did was to make peace. Verse 14 starts with these words. For he himself is our peace. You know, the achieving of peace presupposes conflict or animosity or even war. And really to understand the power of the gospel, you need to understand the impact that sin has on your life 
causing that sense of animosity and even war with God. That's the way the Bible describes unbelievers. They are at war with God. There is strife between an unbeliever and God. There is uh, literally a tension that must be resolved. And so it's with good news that we find in verse 14. It says that Jesus Christ is our peace. He's the one that brings us peace with God. Now in the, in the Greek, the, the word he there is in the emphatic position. That's why in my text, and perhaps in some of yours, it actually reads not just he is our peace, but he himself is our peace. The point is Jesus is the only one who can grant us peace with God. And again, when Paul talks about Jesus being our peace, he, he talks about it on both levels. As I said a moment ago, Jesus brings us peace with God and he brings us peace with each other. That's what Jesus himself said in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Again, remember that the vertical and the horizontal perspectives are connected. It's only as you can have peace with God that you can have peace with others. And that's why in this section of Ephesians chapter 2, they are so closely intertwined. Now, to be honest with you, this is a difficult passage to exegete or to interpret. I don't often get stuck in the middle of the week, but I got stuck in this text. I didn't really exactly know how to, how to move forward uh, to kind of put it all together. And, and the reason for that is because Paul so freely moves back and forth in this text from the vertical to the horizontal to peace with God, to peace with others to Christ reconciling us to the Father and, and, and Christ drawing near uh, those who are far off and, and bringing us into one unit or into one body text says in verse 30 or verse 14 he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall the text says that Jesus brought both groups that's Jews and Gentiles together and he did that by the text says tearing down the barrier wall or the wall that served as a barrier, a dividing wall. You see, under the Old Covenant, there was a sharp distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. As we saw last week, there was no love between them. There was only animosity, envy, hostility. And God, you know, really created that distinction, that separation. Because God chose the Jews. He chose Israel. And to have this special relationship with him, he didn't choose the other nations of the world to share in that special relationship with him. And even in this construction of the temple, that division was clearly defined. On the outside edge of the temple, there was a court. And that was called the court of the Gentiles. And that's where the Gentiles could come. That's the, as close as they could come. And there was a, a literal wall or barrier 
that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And along that barrier, there was a sign. And the sign said this, No Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. You see, that wall was a symbol of what separated God's people from those who were not God's people. Those who were the Jews and those who were the Gentiles. And what the Lord Jesus Christ did was he broke down that barrier. You know, we saw last week in verse 12 again that there were, there were many barriers. The Jews were separate from Christ. They were cut off from the nation of Israel. They were cut off from the covenants. They didn't have the promise of the Messiah. But the greatest barrier was the Jews did not participate, or the Gentiles did not participate in the sacrificial system. They didn't have the means by which to make atonement for their sin, bringing animal sacrifices to shed their blood, to look ahead to the, to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, who would shed his blood once for all for the sins of his people. And that, that barrier wall symbolized that division. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, tore down that barrier. By making himself a sacrifice once for all for the sins of not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, Christ broke down that dividing wall or that barrier. You know, enmity is an important word in this particular passage. It's used in verse 15. It's also used again in verse 16. We don't use the word enmity often. But enmity, enmity... means hatred, hostility, or animosity. And the text tells us Jesus abolished that enmity. Verse 15, He did it by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Jesus tore down the the barrier, the divider, and brought the two groups into one. There's a third thing he did in our text. And that was he reconciled these two estranged groups into one body. We see in verse 16, and he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having it by it having put to death the enmity. You know, it seems, and this is partly why I got stuck this week, seems as though Paul's repeating himself here, doesn't it? You know why it seems like he is? It's because he is. Almost every verse says the same thing in a different way. The point that runs throughout this passage is that there isn't anything that divides us any longer. That Christ, through his death upon the cross, brings together into one body, all of God's people, all those who would come to him by faith. There's only one central focus 
for God's people, that focus is upon Christ Himself. Jesus brings Jews and Gentiles together, removes what divides them, brings them into one. Uses the word, at least in my text in verse 16, the word reconcile. Reconcile is a rich word, isn't it? To reconcile means to bridge a gap, to, to bring warring parties together, to turn hostility into friendship. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, we, we read that God reconciled us to Himself through Christ. But here the focus is upon that Christ reconciles us to each other, as well as to God on the cross. Again, the focus throughout this passage is upon the cross of Christ. Look at three particular references. Verse 13 where he says, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 15, he talks about abolishing the enmity in his flesh. And now in verse 16, he talks about reconciliation that comes through the cross. It is the blood of Christ. It is the sacrifice of Jesus. His death that brings us to God and brings us together. It really is, folks, all about the cross. The cross is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you know. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. Everyone comes to God the same way. And that is through the cross. Jew, Gentile, black, white, Republican, Democrat, Muslim, Buddhist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Methodist, Charismatic. Guess what? We all come the same way. And there's the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is the cross that brings God's people together. John 14, 6 is probably the verse I quote the most from the pulpit. And it's where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's a universal statement, an absolute statement, no exception given. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, that leads me to the fourth thing Jesus did. We find that in verses 17 and 18, where he grants us access to the Father. Let me read verses 17 and 18 again. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 17 is not a direct quote, but it's a reference to a passage from Isaiah 57, which teaches the same thing. I want you to notice the focus upon the word peace. Peace has been an important part of this passage. It's mentioned twice in verse 17. Peace. Jesus came to bring peace. Isaiah called 
Jesus, the Prince of Peace. When the angels came and announced Jesus' birth, they said he came to bring peace among men. For the end of Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. And notice the text says in verse 17 that Jesus preached peace. He preached it and he taught it. He lived it. He gave it. Find our peace only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul kind of sums it up in verse 18. Where he says, For through him, that is through Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. There's that word both again. Both groups. We have our access the same way in one spirit to the Father. Isn't that the the deepest longing of our hearts, folks, to have access to the Father? To know that our Heavenly Father welcomes us, embraces us, that we can come to Him and we can cry out, Abba, Father, and know that He hears us, responds to us, embraces us, cares for us, loves us. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? The word access. That word is used three times in the New Testament. Every time it talks about access to God the Father. Look at chapter 3 and verse 12. Talking about in Christ. is in Christ we have boldness and confidence access through faith in Him. We don't just have access. We have confident and bold access to God through the work of Jesus Christ. You know, I find it interesting. In this text, each person of the Trinity is mentioned. Christ is our peace. We have access to God the Father. And that access is given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that really is the truth that's going to be on display for you this morning when the table is uncovered. Once again, the elements of the Lord's Supper are on display before you. This morning we saw reference, several references, to the death of Jesus, to the shedding of His blood, to the sacrifice of His flesh, to His death on the cross. And on this table there will be the cup representing His blood. There will be the bread representing His flesh or His body. Both of them pointing us to the reality of His sacrifice for us on the cross. You see, it is Jesus' death that appeases the anger of a holy God against our sin. It is the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus that enables us to have peace with God when at once we were estranged from Him and at war with Him. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that unites us together as believers. I look out on you this morning and there's such diversity. None of you look the same. You're all different people. You have different ideas from different backgrounds, from different parts of the country. We're so different in so many ways. Some of us are bulldogs. 
Some of us are rebels. Some of us pull for Oklahoma. We're so different. You know what it is that draws us together? It gives us unity. Right here. It's right here. That's why I keep saying, folks, we've got to keep our eyes here. We've got to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Because we focus upon him, our differences melt away. And they don't seem so important anymore. This is a table of reconciliation. If you feel estranged from God this morning, if God seems far away from you, what is represented here on this table is the only thing that can make that relationship right and draw you back to Him. And if you are estranged from someone in your life, a spouse, a child, a sibling, a friend, a co-worker, this is what can make that right. It is both of you come together in the shadow of the cross and experience the full forgiveness of Jesus for your sin and grant one another the forgiveness He freely gives, your relationship with that person can be restored and healed. You see, the work of Christ, this really is our redemption, our hope, and our salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our redemption, who is our salvation, who reconciles us to the Father and who reconciles us to each other. And I pray this morning as we ponder the truths we've just seen, as we think about what's on this table, that we be drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would love him all the more and find our peace in him. We pray in his name. Amen.